I got to know more about this favorite uh, customer of yours, this regular, this like boat king oh, yeah. with uh, all the swag. Oh, yeah. He was just, you know, he was your standard boat guy. Uh-huh. No offense. Um, <laughs> you're, you're looking at one right now. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I mean, I, don't, I haven't seen you drunk yet, but he was the standard drunk boat guy. Um, so he came into the bar every day. And yeah, like, uh, like I said, he had a boat and he lived on it and it seemed really great in the summertime. And in the winter, he would get a girlfriend and just stay with her all winter long. It's really <laughs> cold. And then in the summer, he would break up with her. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of his thing. So, I mean, what's this, what was this guy's secret? Like that just when he needed to, just like he, he had could, a boat. He, okay, you yeah, no, I is? also know how that works. Yeah, no, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is, yep, that's all it takes. Greg wants to know if this guy has some sort of YouTube channel or if he just beat him somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> You're Welcome to Mechanical Freak. We're broadcasting live from a private cloud co-located somewhere in sunny Seattle, Washington. That city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. Where just now, a freak shared the latest result from our Earth 2 simulator in which Ratfink has replaced Mickey Mouse in the hearts and minds of humans everywhere. And gangs of beautifully deranged road warriors cruise the highways in mutated hot rods. That's right. We're here. Uh, everybody but Cassidy is here, and we have a fantastic guest. Yeah, uh, Nicole Thomas Kennedy is running for city attorney in Seattle in the August 3rd primary. She's challenging three-time incumbent and liberal progressive prosecutor Pete Holmes. <laughs> She's worked as a public defender, a pro bono defender of protesters, and as you heard, a bartender to nautical barflies. Uh, <laughs> all, all, all shapes and sizes of barflies. Okay. <laughs> Nauticals are, it's just one brand. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so first question, obviously, what is your relevant experience and expertise in maritime law? Um, I have none. Um, I think I knew one one kid in law school that was into maritime law, and it was like a fascinating thing. And then he was like, actually, there's just not that much of it. So <laughs> there's like not that much law there. Um, so it is everything's legal at sea. Is yeah, yeah. I, mean. I think the custom of the sea is more of a, <laughs> seemed like it was more of a thing. Yeah. Okay. That was All weird. right. Well. Um, I probably could get a hold of him if you knew me to. Yeah, I think we might. Uh <laughs> When you're in international waters. <laughs> uh, okay, so the city attorney's office. What is it and why challenge Pete Holmes? So the city attorney's office is, um, it's, it's what people think of as a DPA or a DA, um, except for it's just for the city. So it's the head prosecuting attorney for the city of Seattle. The city of Seattle only has the jurisdiction over misdemeanors, though. So it's all misdemeanors in that court. So by definition, low level crime, Mm -hmm. then there's a civil side of the city attorney's office that is tasked with defending the city of Seattle against, you know, like corporate landlords that don't want to pay the jumpstart tax and, you know, or like, uh, you know, any businesses that sue the city. And so they, and they can take on litigation if they want proactively, um, but they don't have to. So like I said, we already have a, 
progressive prosecutor, what is the need then to go after uh, Mr. Pete Holmes, the three the three term incumbent who's right. been in there since like 2010? Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Um, so I used to work at Seattle Municipal Court, where the city attorney is uh, on the other side of the bench, and uh, not the judge, but the other lawyer. And as a public defender in that court, I was. Um, really know how to say it. It was just so much darker than I thought it was going to be. Um, I went through law school and I only wanted to do public defense or maybe like sue corporations, like fun stuff that would have impact, you know? Um, And I thought I was prepared for what I would see when I went in there, but I was not prepared at all. And it was so much more horrifying than I thought. And it was so shocking to me in a city like Seattle that's supposed to, that thinks of itself as progressive, that they're prosecuting people for stealing sandwiches and making people homeless. And um, just like, it's just an endless like meat grinder of misery in there. It's all poor people. Um, Black people are are overrepresented like five times over. I think they're 7% of the population, but almost 35% of the people prosecuted. Um, Indigenous people, I think it's around 3%, um, which... 3% of the people prosecuted in that court are indigenous, but they only make up 0.4% of the population. I mean, it's just everything that you would think it would be in some sort of nightmare dystopia, but worse. And I was really, really shocked to see that. Like, I really did not think that would be what was there, but, but, but that was the reality. And while I was a public defender, we, I mean, so often, like we as public defenders would look around at each other and be like, what the fuck, you know, just like (laughs) what is going on? You know, like this guy has dementia and he's being prosecuted for not paying for his groceries. Mm. And like, he has dementia. He just forgot, you know? Mm. And like, that was like, that's just, it was just a common, just train of like head on, just grotesque, awful prosecuting people with disabilities. Like it was just, it was, and as a public defender, we would always think like, God, someone should know about this. Like someone should, we should tell people. And we would try to tell people and there would be stories in the media every now and then. There was a story about, um, I remember one about how they started prosecuting people who called 911 too much, um, saying they were going to kill themselves, but then they didn't kill themselves. So then they were charged with false reporting. I mean, like that's like the kind of shit that happens there. And it's just so bonkers. It's really mind blowing. And um, we were all... Um, yeah, we we're just like, what is what's happening? And then when I found out that Pete Holmes was running unopposed, I really was like, somebody should do something. Won't <laughs> someone do something? <laughs> um, yeah, I was really and then it kind of it, you know, slowly dawned on me that I could do something. Mm-hmm. And I had left public defense about a year ago and I left because I wanted to do more collective radical stuff. Like I wanted to make bigger scale change. Um, and working as a public defender, I was working 70 hours a week. I couldn't do any activism. There was just like no time for any of that. And so, um, so I kind of looked at it and I didn't think about it too much, um, because the deadline was the very next day. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to do this. And so I just jumped in with both feet. And I think if I had thought about it more, I probably wouldn't have. So I'm glad I didn't think about it. (laughs) Perfect. That's a, a perfect start to an underdog story. Uh, I mean, the way you talk about, yeah, just being overwhelmed by how dark even the Muni court is. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it'd be easy to imagine that because the city attorney's office only prosecutes misdemeanors, that it would not be 
the major locus of like criminal system oppression. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've said on this show many times is that in America everything is illegal. Yeah, and that's that's where you prosecute that everything is in this these misdemeanor courts uh, where you just throw the fucking book at anybody you mm-hmm. possibly can. Yeah, and I think that um, the thing that I noticed about doing misdemeanors as opposed to felonies is um, I felt like doing misdemeanors, I felt like I had more capacity to make changes for people and not not great changes, but like I could reduce the harm more in a misdemeanor court because a lot of people that are in a misdemeanor court are really on the edge. You know, they're living paycheck to paycheck or they're living in their car or they're already living on the street. And, um, you know, for them to be jailed is such a huge deal. You know, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you get jailed for a few days, you lose your job and then you might lose your housing. You know, if you live in your car and you get jailed for a few days, your car is getting towed and with it all your shit and you can't get it back. And like, that's just common stuff that happens. And so, um, it's easy to see, at least for me, like working there, it was really easy to see how, this stuff escalates into the felony land. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it just makes people so much more desperate and so much more destitute and gets them used to this system and thinking that's where they belong. And like, it's just so warping and, um, and it's just completely unnecessary in my opinion. Yeah. And you know, like you say, it's even a small misdemeanor prosecution that results in like a relatively short sentence, like is still completely, hellishly disruptive to a poor person's life not like when the rich get prosecuted and go to jail they can afford they can afford to be in jail for a couple of months so it doesn't uh doesn't doesn't harm them so much well luckily we don't have to test that (laughs) (laughs) but i i mean i had judges tell my clients things like they would be late for court and he's like why are you late and they're like oh because i was at work he's like well your boss can't put you in jail but i can so i'm like this really like things that happen there Oh, yeah. Disgusting. yeah, it's really gross. Yeah, and I mean, you know, your boss does have also powers over you. So yeah, I guess you Indeed. can put me in the street or you can put me in jail. Yeah. I mean, this is the the vice or the quandary that people are caught in. But I mean, realistically, you know, for those of us who are dumb, we don't know the law. We only mm-hmm. know what we know from Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. <laughs> um, what can you do as city prosecutor about this, though? Because I mean... Isn't it if they break the law, you have to prosecute them? <laughs> That's funny. That's so funny. I mean, first I would say there's lots of people that break the law all the time that never get criminally prosecuted, like what? bosses who commit wage theft. <laughs> you know, the amount of money that's stolen through wage theft is eight times the amount of uh, shoplifting, robbery, burglary, and car theft all put together. But wage, uh, yeah, that's just never prosecuted. So, I mean, the law is really not applied equally already. Like I said, 90% of the people in there are poor, and it's not just poor people committing crime. Um, But it is a lot of unsheltered people that don't have anywhere to escape from the cops that are getting picked up for the same thing that rich people or middle-class people do inside their homes. Um, So, I mean, what I would do as prosecutor, is just not prosecute most all of that shit. I think it's completely unnecessary. Um, Almost all the theft cases are from retailers where they get the merchandise back. Um, A lot, most of them, Pete Holmes admits, are from Goodwill, which is just particularly disgusting. Um, And so, like, thefts, I just don't, don't see the point, you know? That's... It's just a worthless thing to do. 
um, especially when people can't get their basic needs met. And then I think for a, most, almost everything else in there, it's they make a lot out of something that, I mean, sometimes there's something there, but a lot of times there really isn't. And there's other ways of dealing with things that they, the city attorney has constantly fought back against for years. You know, there's mm-hmm. things like compromise of misdemeanor where you, the two people agree, you know, like the person who is being charged makes it, uh, like writes a letter, pays restitution and says like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm har- I harmed you when it's between two people. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and the, and then the other person, if they accept that they can say like, okay, I'm fine with this. I don't want to go ahead with prosecution. And then, but the city attorney sometimes doesn't accept those. They're like, Nope. Like they want their pound of flesh, you know, um, or the judge won't accept that. And it's just, it's so counterproductive that I think, um, I mean, I, I do think that a large part of the crimes, crimes, quote unquote, that they prosecute there do not need to be addressed at all. And if they want, if people want to address them, you can try meeting people's basic needs. That's the best way to address them. And I think for a lot of other stuff, there's just other ways of dealing with things like, um, transformative justice type models that need building up over time. But if I was in the office, that is what I would be focusing on. I would not be prosecuting most everything that comes in there and whatever does come in there that's like can't be pushed aside because we don't have the infrastructure to deal with it just yet would be working out different ways of dealing with those things while building that infrastructure that's necessary to deal with those things, not to, to make it so police and prisons aren't what we need. That's not the best way to address the situation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Pete Holmes, from his perspective, and I think he said something like this in the past is like, well, we have to basically, he feels like he has to prosecute all these uh, misdemeanor shoplifting bullshit, <laughs> Michigas charges because the people demand it. Uh, the the uh, the Seattle Times, the small business tyrants of the city, yeah, the fucking right. Magnolians, uh, they all demand that the yes. scourge of shoplifting uh, and, you know, uh, visible homelessness all be prosecuted, that the laws be enforced equally in our parks or mm-hmm. whatever the bullshit line of the day is mm-hmm. that is about, you know, just people begging for a us to criminalize poverty more somehow than we already do. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you say to, what do you say when you're in that seat, when you, when the pros when the prosecutorial discretion is yours, mm-hmm. what do you say to the city, to the element of the city? That's like, how can you not prosecute crimes? Like, what do you, I mean, what are, are you, can you, <laughs> you're, you sound very based here sitting with us on this. Uh-huh, boat. Uh-huh. Like, what do you, what are you going to do when you're up at that podium? And, and uh, they demand they're with you know coming at you with pitchforks and torches, saying we must uh, build more prisons. Right. I mean, I love people coming at me with pitchforks and torches. Like uh, public defense, we're all just about like, yeah, come at me, bro. <laughs> um, but I mean, honestly, I like to be perfectly honest. When it comes to that sort of like downtown business contingent, Seattle Times stuff, like I don't fucking care. Like I really don't care. Those people don't know what they're talking about. They're interested in doing a thing that doesn't work. That's a complete waste of money. And I am glad that you have a voice, but I don't have to listen to it. You know, I mean, like, I I hear what you're saying, but it, I mean, and it, it depends, right? So it depends on how someone's asking these questions. You know, if there's room to have a conversation about, like, 
hey, do you really think this is working? The U.S. has more people in jail than like any place in the, in the world. history of the world. In the history <laughs> of the world. It's come down in the last 20 years, but we still have like 24% of the entire world's population. You know what I mean? Like if incarceration was working, wouldn't we be seeing that? You know, so obviously it's not working. So doesn't it make sense to instead of like flushing money down the toilet on something that we know doesn't work? Doesn't it make sense to try something different? And it's not that it's not that lofty. You know what I mean? Like we're the only country that does this. And it's, I think the expectation or the, the assumption is, is like, this is the only way we can do it. And it's like, well, first of all, this is pretty recent. Like mass incarceration is really recent. Um, and then on top of that, like there's lots of other countries that are safer than this one that have different models and different ways of doing things. And so I think that, um, I think that there is an element of the, pleasurable aspect of punishment, which I'm not saying I stand outside of. Like, I get that when I don't like someone, you know, I'm just like, ha ha, you know, like, I, I wish you would fall off a cliff or something. You're talking <laughs> to podcasters here. We, we, know, we know exactly what you mean. That's every yeah. single episode of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, and I get, I, I get that feeling um, and I get wanting to have that feeling. I guess I don't really get that when it is against when you're punching down. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a really that's hard for me to um, that's just hard for me to understand. But I have, you know, I know people who think that way. So I had a conversation with a friend the other day who was like, San Francisco's gone to shit <laughs> ever since Chase Booty. <laughs> We're full of property crime. I'm moving out of here like it's a fucking wasteland. And I'm just like. Uh, what happened? They're like, Chase the Poutine and Prop 47. And like, they were just, um, you know, I'm just like, okay, we'll have the slow conversation. Enjoy Omaha. Yes. Um, and we, you know, like we talked for a while and I was like, but, you know, I think if you have the time, it's very helpful to ask a lot of questions. Like, yeah. why do you think that? But what about this? But what about this? Yeah. And finally... Yeah, go ahead. Like, sir, why do you care about property crime? Like, why, 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 why are you hand, hand ringing about like a broken window at the Nike store, sir? Why is that firing you up? Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually the conversation with my friend, I was like, but I mean, like, do you think there's anything else that's happened in the last few years that might drive property crime? He's like, I don't know. Income inequality is pretty bad. And I'm like, but don't you think it would make more sense to go after that? Then he's like, oh, that would be so hard to change. <laughs> right, so warehouse your poor. So. Yeah, well, and I think to yeah to put a, a sort of you know exclamation point on something you said earlier, right? You know, when you talked about wage theft, is that prosecutors use discretion all the time, right? right. It's never been a situation where all crime gets prosecuted. Oh no! And so the anger in the business community is about who that discretion is being used against, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, it is interesting in these conversations. It's, I mean, San Francisco, like, Larsity is actually down. Mm -hmm. uh, and here, they just had some, we had it posted, and it's like, there's yeah. a thing in Wallingford where they asked people in Wallingford about, like, what they thought the crime level was, and, like, everybody thought it was insanely out of control. Yeah. Like, it's actually, like, lower than it is yeah. historically. And so, you know, there's this perception that I think we can say is, you know, purposefully created by the media and by mm -hmm. police organizations and by, you know, the downtown, uh, you know, the, DS, the Seattle DSA, the downtown Seattle. <laughs> um, Smokers. To, you know, create this punitive mm -hmm. mindset that is essentially just class war, right? Yeah. And, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, 
when they're not yelling Chase Boudin, but instead they're yelling your name. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've made it. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm so ready. Yeah, I mean, I really, um, when I was a kid, I used to play baseball, and it was always the best feeling to me was when, like, I, like, got a, like, amazing hit and was running around the bases, and it was an away game, and people were booing. I was like, yeah, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Take that. Well, um, and, and if I'm not wrong, you used to be in a punk band. Is that what I read in The Stranger? Um, Yeah, yeah, I've been in a couple different bands. My last band wasn't really so much punk as just really sad. Um and well, and and like slowcore type type music. Yeah, yeah, it was like like desert rock meets shoegaze. Oh, nice. Type <laughs> I kind of want yeah. to listen to and it this. It was it was a lo- it was very hateful. Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know the, the the vibe of, of that might be, but I know you know, having been in a punk band in my youth or whatever, uh, it's much better to be booed and have the crowd. Oh hate God, you yeah. To, I mean, that's way more entertaining. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe you've been preparing your whole life for this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well. If this does does happen, if you get elected, it'll be with a mandate from more than half of the voters of the city. So, yeah. you know, you'll have uh, maybe you'll have, you know, some some booing and some cheering. All the best things have both. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. Um, so as a city attorney, how could you end the war on drugs in Seattle? And how would that, I guess, differ from pro- policy and practice? Um, and also just like what is left out of that because of the scope of just being in city attorney, of course, not all, um, you know, drug offenses will go to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Muni court as we know. Um, yeah. What's kind of in scope and out of scope there starting with like Pete Holmes claims about, uh, him reforming uh, the city's drug prosecution. Well, marijuana was decriminalized when he was uh during the years that he was city attorney so naturally they stopped prosecuting that because it was no longer a crime i will say the thing that um i think he did that was pretty amazing was he expunged records of Mm -hmm. um people who had been convicted of misdemeanor marijuana possession that i think was really really amazing and that was you know decriminalizing marijuana means you can't prosecute anymore that's not his decision. But expunging people's records, I think that's a really big deal. Um, other than that, there's really... Marijuana was the only thing that was dealt with in that court. Um, yeah. So there's really not much else for him to do there. I think what's different now is the Blake decision that came out where the Supreme, the Washington State Supreme Court struck down the felony drug possession statute and then um, some heroes, some real American heroes went to the legislature and had it recriminalized, Um, except for now it's a misdemeanor. And so if that gets written into the Seattle Municipal Code, which is up to the city council, um, then it would, then the city attorney's office, that would be on the books for them to prosecute. Mm -hmm. Um, Pete says that he won't prosecute that or he wouldn't prosecute that, but he also says he doesn't and won't prosecute DWLS3, and he does. And he also says he won't prosecute prostitution, and he does. So um, is that something that can be relied on? I mean, I don't really think so. But I know that, I mean, when I say I'm an abolitionist, I'm not going to prosecute stuff. And I'm definitely, definitely, definitely not going to prosecute drug, dis- <laughs> drug possession. And I mean, that's part of the prosecutorial discretion. You know, the, a prosecutor's duty is to seek justice. It's not to exact state retribution, you know, that, or, or get... Exactly. 
or get convictions. Like that's not what a prosecutor is ethically supposed to be doing. Um, and then I think it's really worrisome when it comes to something like drug possession because it's such an easy thing to prove generally. It's like, did you have drugs? Were they in your possession? You know what I mean? Anytime like a bag is taken out of your pocket, like or out of your car or whatever, you know what I mean? It's a really, really easy thing to prove. I've seen, um, you know, in felony land, people get convicted on having a baggie that's empty, but there's trace amounts of something in there that got tested and was methamphetamine. So now they're found guilty of drug possession. That's and so like, fucked up. Yeah. And, and Dan Satterberg also thinks he's a progressive prosecutor who doesn't oh, do yeah. shit like that. And he does. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just, I really think that the problem with, first of all, Pete Holmes and Dan Satterberg are not progressive prosecutors. But even if they were, I think the problem with progressive prosecution is that's too much power for one person to have. I really, I really think that we should be divesting ourselves from that, from anybody having that level of power over somebody else. Like we need to move towards building new models that don't necessitate having like a big daddy in the sky to like bring his boot down. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's what we've decided we're going to have here. And I think that um, I I really just don't think that there's people that should have that kind of power over other people. Yeah, yeah, and, and I that that's that's really really um, insightful, and I, I love that you call yourself um, an abolitionist, and you know I think that that is uh, I think what I think what uh, people who claim themselves as progressive may be what they want people to infer, but there's a huge difference between those two, and I think like the program of abolition. Um, do you, usually, especially from last summer, is used in the context of uh, defunding uh, the police as an, abol- an, an abolitionist reform. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's also the broader concept of abolition, which includes uh, what I call the criminal punishment system, not really the justice yes. system. Um, and do you see, is that kind of like policy that you were saying of like, you know, kind of, stifling or mitigating the power of like one position is, does that kind of fit in the overall framework of abolition Um, and kind of where, what's your overall vision? And you can just give a brief summary of what to people who are new to abolition on what that actually means. Yeah, sure. So an abolitionist is someone who wants to get rid of the criminal punishment system. Um, It's, you know, the, it, these are none of these are my ideas. These are this is stuff that's being built on for decades um, since since prison started. We've had a prison abolitionists, but especially it's um, gotten a lot bigger in the decades of mass incarceration, which has been the last uh, twenty to forty years. And so the idea behind abolition is um, not uh, to get rid of all cops and open the prisons, and it's a free for all and murder is legal, which I think some people think sometimes, and that we're all going to be. Uh, running around in a Hobbesian nightmare, like Escape from New York or something like that. Um, the idea is... Some of us would prefer that. I mean, that kind of okay. sounds I mean, cool. I don't know. I mean, uh, it could be like a vacation spot, right? I'm slowly pushing my purge mask <laughs> yeah. under the couch right now. <laughs> but the process of abolition is about building up, not just tearing down. So um, finding new ways to 
get real accountability if if that's what people are ready for and to have genuine practices for healing harm and addressing all harms, not just the ones that we choose to criminalize. Because a lot of people will say like, but what about the rapists and murderers? And it's like, well, how many rapists do you know behind bars? I, I'm sorry, but they are among us. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. rates of rape that's reported and then convicted. And then like, it's just that the, we need to build something that can address all of those harms, not just have a system that we, that a lot of people feel like that they, that doesn't work for them, that they can't work within, or that doesn't offer them any sense of safety or healing. And so it's a process of building up with community um, and building, like I was talking about transformative justice models. Um, There's also a lot of community programs. There's people who are working on it right now, um, and that are doing like pretrial diversion programs like Sean Good with Choose 180. There's community passageways for juveniles. There's there's all these programs that are being enacted right now, but they are that's not what's really happening. You know, like there is there, that is an option for some, but not for all. The vast majority of people are just being prosecuted like normal everyday thing. But I also don't agree with just funneling everybody into diversion programs and like slapping like an ankle bracelet on people and calling that like abolition. I mean, it really is about creating a world that we can all live in safely. And it's totally possible. It's not, it's not a pipe dream, you know? I mean, human beings are, will always harm each other. You know, we're never going to reach 100% safety, but I think that we can do a lot better than we are now, you know? And um, with a lot less money and with like actually making this place livable and healthy for everybody um, so people can flourish instead of just barely surviving and scraping Mm -hmm. by all the time. So you mentioned that Pete Holmes is still prosecuting sex workers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I imagine you're going to say you're not going to prosecute or something like that. Um, But like, yeah, how does that fit into like a larger paradigm of... uh, reforming how we look at sex work in Seattle and in general? I mean, not only would I not prosecute sex work, but I would work towards the decriminalization of sex work. Sex work is a job. People do it for survival. Um, uh, That's the world we live in. And, you know, if you're sad about that, then maybe you should do something about the world we live in. I guess I'm looking for ways that obviously like you can change policy at the city attorney's office here. Like, and how does that fit into a larger struggle? Mm-hmm. Uh, like what? In what way can the the city attorney's office contribute to a larger struggle of abolition mm-hmm. of uh, decriminalizing sex work? Yeah, I mean, well, I think in terms of decriminalization, that's something where there's going to be like testimony in front of the legislature. Like, there's a whole like process mm-hmm. um, for that that's like legal and boring. But I think um, uh, as far as contributing to that, um, there, I think there's this idea that like people can't change their minds about anything um, that like what, what we've always said is bad is just bad forever, which is like really pretty absurd because we used to not be able to show our ankles and like, look at me now, two wrists, two ankles. (laughs) Um, And uh, so I think that there, I think that there is a growing movement behind decriminalization of sex workers and also of just acceptance of the fact um, that that it is a fact of life, that it is a job, and that it's a thing that people are forced into for survival a lot of the times. I think that instead of prosecuting those things, we should be using resources to meet people's stated needs. And I don't mean like going in and trying to save people, you know, like what I call the big daddy model. Like we don't need that paternalistic model. We need to, if 
if people working as in sex work and commercial sex work need something, we need to be able to meet those needs. So if they need help with housing, if it's like a rent issue, if it's a childcare issue, if it's transportation issue, they should be able to reach out and the community should be able to help with those needs. I mean, we're all interdependent on each other. And so I get that some people don't want to recognize that and some people don't have to. But that's, um, I think as the world continues to explode, um, people are starting to recognize like we're all we have. And I think that there's a lot of people that are already doing that work. There's a lot of people that are already building up that community that are doing, building those networks. And, um, and I think that having someone in the office that's going to champion those things, that's going to put resources towards those things and that, um, you know, can go and, and talk about it in a way that's not, um, you know, it's almost like it's weird. Prosecutors are weird. They're like a they're seen as neutral parties sometimes, mm-hmm. which is super freaky to me. And no one should see them as neutral parties. Yeah, usually the most psychotic people in government. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a creepy yeah, I mean, it's it's thing to want to do. Uh, yeah. Even worse than that. I mean, it's worse. It's bad enough that in our in the most like punitive society in the history of the world, we've got these, you know, we somehow elect these, uh, you know, punishers in chief who, but also to add to the sort of uh, horror of it, it's like how it's like a main over the last 30 years. It's how a main way that uh, the Democratic Party has recruited people to run for higher office yeah. above that, which is maybe the most disgusting thought imaginable. So are you, is this like, are you on your way to, to president from this? <laughs> like, No, I don't ever want to run for office again. This is, I mean, the thing that makes it bearable for me is to think about what I can do if I got there. I personally don't like this kind of attention. Um, Like my campaign manager asked me something uh, about like, oh, what do you need? I'm like, if I had a rider, it would be three LaCroix, don't take my picture and don't fucking touch me. That's all. (laughs) Those are my needs. Um, (laughs) Sounds like like you're ready for Seattle politics. Yeah. Seattle position. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, to me, campaigning is like a, a, like a long job interview that never ends. Um, And uh, I don't really want to go through it again. I also don't think that, I want to go into politics. Like, I think it would be, it's much different to run for something like city council or mayor where it's just so much broader. You're, um, it's just a completely different thing. This is a technocratic position for better or worse. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to take it apart. That's my goal. Okay. Uh, you know, when you're scared because you see an unhoused person in your neighborhood, Mm -hmm. you can call the cops. Um, but as you've mentioned, uh, here and elsewhere, when your employer steal, steals from you, mm-hmm. uh, you can uh, go fuck yourself <laughs> and or I guess get a lawyer like Pagliacci was just ordered to pay uh, $3.7 million for missing wages. Uh, but it took a massive class action suit, three years, appeals for fucking standing uh-huh. to all the way up to the state Supreme Court. And finally, they were forced into mediation which went the plaintiff's way, and they uh, were forced to uh, pay out finally mm-hmm. on what was like really heavily documented, like yeah. minute paper trail on all the instances of where they're like, you know, a, a customer didn't like you. We dock your pay. <laughs> and it's like on the receipt, mm-hmm. it's like in their POS yeah. system, like really bad shit. So you've mentioned that this sucks, that, um, you know, we have so much of this 
prosecution for Michigas and not and and not for uh, you know wage theft from small business tyrants. So how knowing that the prosecutorial duties of the city attorney are for misdemeanors, and we're talking about much bigger money here. Mm-hmm. How can you use the city attorney's office? How will you use the city attorney's office to crack down on small business tyrants who are fucking over their employees? Well, I think that the biggest thing I think that can be done is to um, add a lot more fucking lawyers to the civil side to deal with that. Okay. Because like what you're talking about is true. Like you're not going to call the cops mm-hmm. when your employer steals 60 bucks out of your check. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and and there really is no resource, recourse. And I think, like, the the danger is, like, you know, when it comes to something like Pagliacci's, like, it ended up being this huge settlement, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, like, that nickel and dime shit mm-hmm. that, like, really fucks people over. Like, I mean, I was not always making public defender money. And, you know, uh, (laughs) and like, I mean, like being screwed out of like a couple hundred dollars is like a big deal for a lot of people, especially Mm -hmm. when it's so expensive to live. So I think the most important thing is to put the city attorney's office is in a, is a weird position because it is elected, you know, and, and that means that not only are you the attorney for, you know, like this to protect the city's like financial as like the financial aspects of the city, but you're also like protecting this like the residents of this city, and so I, yeah, and so there needs to be a lot more um, on that the civil side on the wage theft side. I think Pete Holmes um, proudly said, um, "We have one attorney that does nothing but wage theft." It's like one. Yeah. One? That's I mean, how much wage theft could there be? Right, exactly. <laughs> but and that's the thing is like it is so and you know, I think um the stranger asked him why don't you prosecute wage theft? He's like, "Well, it's just I mean, there's a burden of proof and beyond a reasonable doubt." I'm like, "All oh, those fucking employers surveil the shit out of their employees and there's like, yeah, there's like mm-hmm. heavy documentation of it. It's not Pagliacci is like a big company that ha- is like seriously run like a real business they were regularly routinely committing Mm -hmm. crimes and documenting it at every step yeah it's like a video of a sad clown saying it's me pagliacci (laughs) (laughs) yeah for like every month of the year like it literally like it's in their their accounting records they're they're entering they're like pushing the wage theft button on the cash register register when they tip out like they they programmed their like (laughs) payroll system to have line items yeah just ask crimes and then there's only a yes (laughs) (laughs) but 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 it's a good point because you know Pete Holmes he says this like oh all of a sudden like oh who can prove anything it's like but when Goodwill asks them to prosecute poor people for taking a sweater that I donate there mm-hmm. uh all of a sudden you know yeah fuck it you know you can prosecute anybody it's you know this gets back to that discretion issue right? yeah exactly you know? and the thing is you can't really prosecute someone for stealing a sweater from goodwill because they don't track their inventory so they mm. can't really prove it was theirs <laughs> and they know but that's, that but that's apparently yeah. not a problem for Pete Holmes. right like, yeah the they, they know that and yeah. yet they well, look at them they look poor they do so <laughs> they're guilty we're this is the criminal class we're cleaning them up yeah I mean, and that's, yes. And then I get that people think that, but I think that they're, I think people are getting hip to the fact that, um, that it's not just like all this stuff that we've been told for years about, um, you know, go get a jab and honesty and blah, blah, blah. It's just like a big old line of bullshit. And, um, 
I would not prosecute bosses because I don't really believe in doing that, but I sure as fuck would have a lot more attorneys on that and open up a program so workers could come to the office and start filing those claims and we could start working on that. Um, Meaning civil cases to reclaim those wages. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, that's sometimes. As the city with a mandate as the attorney for the people of the city of Seattle, Mm -hmm. you would, you would have an avenue for workers to come forward and, and ask to be represented by the city against uh, their bosses for wage theft. Yeah. I mean, I think it gets a little murky with resources about exactly how that could be done. Um, I definitely think there could be like a clinic with a legal clinic within the city attorney's office that could handle things like that. But I also, because the city attorney can't really sue on behalf of like particular citizens, Uh they have to sue on behalf of the city of Seattle. Right. And so, um, I would want to have like some sort of legal clinic that people could come to if they're being wronged by their boss, right? And get help with that legal program. If there is like a Pagliacci's in Seattle, and we know there is, you know, if there's, there shouldn't be, to me, there shouldn't be like employees having to band together in a class action all by themselves. Mm. Like the city of Seattle should be suing on behalf of the harm that they cause, not just to the workers, but to the city of Seattle. Because that is like, I mean, you're causing harm to every, when you steal from your workers, that harms everybody. I mean, that's the whole principle behind ste- yeah. prosecuting someone for stealing a sweater. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is that like, it's hurting everybody, yeah, but well, it's and, not. And this only, one is. And only poor people pay taxes in Seattle, so it's really robbing <laughs> the city of tax revenue. It really is. It really is. Um, but yeah, I think that there's there could just be so much more aggression on the civil side, mm-hmm. and I I think that a lot of times some of the bigger stuff isn't gone after because, uh, I mean, big companies, small businesses, they have lawyers. They have a team of lawyers already, mm-hmm. you know? And so you know, like, you're going to be in it for a big fight. Like, it's not going to be, it's not going to be like, you you can't pay $500 bail, so you're just going to plead guilty to something. Like, that's not how it's going to work. They, you don't, you're not going to have that sort of coercive power over um, over another individual in the same way when you're dealing with like bigger companies or, or businesses or anybody that has access to the legal system. Mm-hmm. And so, and I mean, I think that's the challenge, but I also think that's the duty, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like if you're going to be this attorney for Seattle, you have a duty to all of the citizens of Seattle, not just like the ones who have, you know, say a bunch of shit in Seattle times. Like everybody, everybody here is your client. I mean, to me, that's always like something that really strikes me with the cops too, is they're always just like, well, like we have to protect the community. We have to protect the community. I'm like, well, you beat the shit out of my client. They're like, we're protecting the community. I'm like, my <laughs> client is a member of the community. I know that's really hard to remember, but, um, but yeah, there is, I think there is this like sort of, um, sort of like hypnotized view of dealing with things where it's just like some people belong here and some people mm-hmm. don't. And that's just utter fucking bullshit. And I don't really have time for it. And so equity would be like the focus of the civil side and prosecution mm-hmm. would be dead. So. Well, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. And we're glad that you've endorsed our position that, uh, on your first day in office, you will put the downtown Seattle association in jail. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes. No, <laughs> Wait, what's the other one? Uh, it's Lemoncello. Um, well, hit me with that one now. Yeah, just tell me you don't want to look all up. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, we've all done it. it. We've all told them this. <laughs> it's not cinnamon the first finish. Time. <laughs> it is weird to have all the medicinal aspects of a cola. Yeah, yeah. none of the none effects. of the pleasurable aspects. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel like I'm drinking the original. You know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs>
right. Yeah, but to get back to something that you just mentioned or a group you had just mentioned, um, you know, it's great to not prosecute crimes or things like that, but uh, we have this other part of the justice system that exists, which is mm-hmm. Seattle PD. Oh, yeah. And it seems whether or not you want to prosecute crimes or not, will not stop SPD uh-huh. from doing whatever the hell they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have now finally gotten all the details out uh, from last summer about the East Precinct, which turned out that, uh, wouldn't you know that on the show we were right, uh, SPD just did whatever the fuck it wanted, and yes. that's, you know... <laughs> it's weird how that turned out to be just, like, exactly like we said. Well, it's such a difficult prediction to make that the <laughs> heavily armed psychopaths just act on their own and nobody actually controls them. Uh, which leads me to my point of uh, nobody actually controls SPD. Yeah. Um, as city attorney, can we put them in jail? <laughs> nah. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that's going to be really hard. I mean, I, I think when it comes to cops, like the best thing we can do for cops is make them not be cops. You yes. know? Um, I agree. There is stuff I think that, yeah, like the cops do whatever they want. And I think that people um, are recognizing that now. I mean, I think people were really shocked by what happened this summer. Yeah. And I mean, if you had watched body cams for four years, you wouldn't be, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm just like, eh, you know, I mean, like that, that was predictable, right? Yeah. Um, they really don't answer to anybody, like at all. And, um, but I think they are feeling very threatened, which is, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, um, yeah. And like, I know Pete likes to talk about how he's the reform guy. He was really into reform. I'm like, dude, you should stop saying that because we all saw what happened last summer. It didn't work. Crazy to talk about the the consent decree process being at all positive after like, yeah. <laughs> like this last year. I mean, yeah, you could say incredible. all the crimes of the last 10 years, but I mean, this last year especially. But. Yeah. I mean, I think it... So, I mean, people ask me, like, oh, aren't the cops going to arrest people still? And it's like, they are. I th- I mean, I don't, the city attorney doesn't have control over the cops, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have some control over who gets booked into jail. Um, and they do, um, you know, especially if, like, if we're going to talk about something like sex work. Like, right now, SPD spends, like, uh, gobs, untold amounts of money on their stupid John stings where they set up like ridiculous um, Euro spa Barbie's dollhouse. These are the cases that I've had um, where they set up like a fake massage parlor. And then um, when people come in, then they get arrested. Um, and so, I mean the amount of overtime that's cause it's all the undercovers are working overtime. They rent a space, they renovate it. Sometimes they get Airbnbs. I mean, they're just spending like ungodly <laughs> amounts of money like the vice squad is on this garbage. And so they're have, I, sounds like they're having community a theater. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. This reminds me of a South Park episode, it, you know, back in the day <laughs> where <laughs> you kind of go through the whole process and then arrest them. it's like, why that, that, that is a really just absurd waste of money. I mean, amongst other things, but like, I didn't even know they were like running Airbnbs and stuff. Oh, God, yeah. And if you watch uh, movies or whatever, or you listen to an uh, ill-informed relative as a child, you might think that the police creating the context for the crime, the situation for mm-hmm. the crime, you know, essentially doing 90% of the crime and just <laughs> yeah. waiting for you to walk away. <laughs> My boy, that's entrapment! Uh, you would think, yes, you go, that's entrapment. You are, nobody goes to jail because of entrapment. But uh, 
that's not reality, is it? I mean, the police just no. basically fucking arrest whoever the fuck they want. And it's yeah, no, they really do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, I, I think there's, I've been, every now and then someone will say like, but isn't that illegal? And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, that's nice for you. Sweet I'm glad you child. still live in that headspace. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, in the reverse of that, like, you know, you as the city attorney will have the discretion, as we talked about, not to prosecute certain crimes. So, you know, in the whole economy of justice, if you're not prosecuting those crimes, aren't the cops eventually going to get the message and go like, I guess we'll stop hassling people for this stuff? I mean, that would be my hope. Um, I think in particular for the John Stings, I think it's going to be very hard for them to justify spending that amount of money on something that's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like people always ask me like, well, what do you think your relationship with SBD is going to be like? I'm like, well, it's not going to be good. Yeah, you know, hopefully very bad. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they hate everybody, right? They yeah, hate Pete yeah. Holmes. So, I mean, it's not. It's they not... hate Jenny Durkin. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they're, they're biggest ally and they fucking hate her. It's Looking amazing. Rocks. <laughs> yeah, there's, it will never be enough. There'll never be enough, no. of, you know, suffering for them. But, um, I mean, there is some stuff in the works right now to try to get some stuff off their plate, which is the nice way of saying it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't really need to shoot people in a mental health crisis anymore. It's cool. We got another way of dealing with that. That's off your plate. Mm. Um, so, I think there there is programs like that in the works. And I think that there was like this huge thirst for defunding back in the summer. And there it's, you know, I think it's somewhat debatable about how much, how people really feel about that now. Because if you, you know, read the news, it's like everybody was into it in the summer. No, everybody hates it and they want more cops. And like, I don't really think that that is true. I think a lot of people still um, agree in the defunding thing. But I do think that people are nervous about like, what are we going to do if there's no cops? And so that's, I mean, and that's that's the whole point of abolition is building up those systems to find other ways of dealing with it. And then also recognizing when it comes to things like sex works, like, do we really need to do this and if so why like let's really examine why why do you need that mm-hmm. like why do we need to do this like why is this what we've deemed important you know like we can have those conversations and um because you know anytime well i don't feel like i'm talking about sex work a lot but like anytime like Pete gets asked about that stuff he's like well there's child trafficking and it's <laughs> like well i don't think we should decriminalize child trafficking like i mean i just I'm gonna go out on a limb mm-hmm. um but uh but that's not what we're talking about, you know, or like where there's commercial sex work, there's exploitation. I'm like, where there's tech work, there's exploitation. <laughs> like yeah, there's, yeah. there's bosses exploit workers. That's, that's the game. You know what I mean? And to, to draw this delineation as if like, you know, like paternalistic guy in the sky needs to come down and save like the poor woman who's just like, you know what I mean? It's just, or, or whoever it is. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I hate to use words like asinine, but it is. Yeah, well, I, asinine. Yeah, because it's one of those things of uh, the fact that it's criminals what makes it even more exploitative than other work. But you know, I mean, you get these good, you know, in theory, good nature bills like Sesta Fosta, but all it did was push sex workers back into more dangerous locations, which is you know, mm-hmm. Aurora here, you know, uh, in town, and. Yeah, I think when you're talking about abolition, this I, I think it's hard for people to imagine a lot of times because they can't imagine the U.S. government, like any at any level, building a social program that does something good. Like it's just like so unfathomable the idea that you would have a social good come out of the state at this point. Yeah, I get that. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's not really happening right now, so I can see why people would think that. And I mean, I I think that's why. 
I mean, I don't think the government is going to save us. I'll be honest. Like, I don't, I don't think the legal system is going to save us. I don't think the government is going to save us. I don't think that's where it's at. I think like we need to be building up community based systems that are addressing harms. And like, there's people doing the work all the time. There's people, there's so many people in this town doing mutual aid now, you know, like 10 years ago, like mutual aid was things like uh, some people knew about, but not a lot of people. Now I feel like everyone I know does mutual aid, like, and everybody knows what mutual aid is. And, um, and that's like, that's a shift, you know, and that's the kind of stuff um, but yeah, I can see where you would think that the government would not do that. Probably because they won't. Um, but at least historically, haven't in the last right. forty years. Exactly. No one believed that Medicare for all was a realistic possibility. Yeah. You know. I, I feel like the time has passed for us to be like, can we really do this? It's like, mm-hmm. can we really not do this? Yep. Like, we cannot just debate about whether we should or can or whatever. Like, we're just gonna have to fucking do it, and. You know, like I think a lot about um, I remember watching one of the live streams of Cal Anderson getting swept one of the many times Cal Anderson got swept, especially in the summertime when there were so many mutual aid workers there that put in like a hand washing sink that cleaned the bathrooms that collected PPE that made food like they did all of these things. And, you know, they just kept like sweeping them. And then um, I remember one girl talking to the parks department and saying, like, we d- we got, like, PPE and tampons and you guys took those. And they're like, oh, but you could just come and get them. And she's like, but I can't because I'll be criminalized if I go down there because they have them inside the shelter house. Mm-hmm. And um, just all these catch-22s. And then same girl, next time they swept, um, I remember her saying, I got pepper sprayed while making a fruit salad. And I was like, that is the quote of the fucking summer. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's what... That's what we're dealing with. Like Carmen Best sees the vegetable garden as a threat. Like the cops are afraid of the fruit salad. I mean, and it's, they should be. They fucking should be. You know what I mean? Because like people are over this idea of uh, my government is going to do it for me. They're just like, no, we're just going to do it ourselves because we know how to fucking do it. And so and I, that is, I mean, that is a threat. That is a threat to the government, to the, the, like those in power. Like if we all start helping each other out, supporting each other, making sure we have our needs met, like I mean, that's that spells trouble for this system, you so, know. So if, you know, there's going to be an election in November, if the political climate is such that the streets are alive with the desire to defund SPD by some level to take some power and funding away to replace it with some other programs, that's obviously going to require a movement and a city government that is amenable to that in what way. And the city attorney's office be supportive of that uh, that movement happening and making it happen. Well, to the I mean, that it can. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think refusing to prosecute a lot of the things that the cops are doing. I mean, I think that would be huge. I, it's. I think it would be hard to make an argument against, and not not to say that nobody will make it because I'm sure they will. But I think that it it's going to get harder to make an argument that the police should be fully funded when we've taken away like most of what we, they do. Because I think people have this idea that they're out there like solving murders all the time. And it's like, that's not what they're fucking doing. You know, they're harassing homeless people. Like, that's what's happening. And so, you know, it's like from that point of view, not prosecuting those things is really, I think, going to underscore the folly of what they are doing and just like the waste of money. You know what I mean? Because like there's no longer the patina of justice over the top of the garbage that they're doing to sort of validate it at all, you know? Um, And so I think that will be helpful. But I also think that, um, I mean, the city attorney doesn't make policy. That's up to the city council. But I think that there's also ways that the city attorney can help 
in terms of crafting law, um, like helping the city council figure out what they're going to do and how that can be like legally defensible. But also um, the city attorney has a seat at the table for contract negotiations. And that's a big deal. That's you a know? big deal. So, um, and I think it's going to look a lot different with an abolitionist <laughs> sitting yeah. at that table. Yeah, you know? the spot contract negotiation is going to be huge in any effort to rein in any power of, of SPD, much less defund them at all. The other thing, though, that the city attorney's office uh, has a relevant role in is the consent decree. And in an interesting way, it seems that the federal government's role in oversight over SPD now may be basically a possible impediment to any positive change, mm-hmm. such as defunding SPD. Uh, so what what do you think you would do as city attorney uh, with, with regards to the consent decree? I would like to see us get out of the consent decree altogether. At this point, I think it's more expensive and more harmful than anything else. Like if that lawsuit needs to just go forward, then that's like, we need to explore that possibility because it is standing in the way right now. And we have spent so much money on, you know, developing the office of inspector general and like making tweaks to OPA and SPD and like all this stuff. It's just, it's such a time waster and not just, I mean, we're not, just talking about SPD here. It's not just SPD that can't follow the consent mm-hmm. decree. You know, the city council also passed the last SPOG contract, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, it had like the consent decree didn't stop them from bargaining away accountability measures that mm-hmm. they also passed, you know? Um, so it's not, it's not stopping anything. It's yeah. not working. And it's sad to me that we're at the point where we're talking about, can the consent decree be saved? It's just like, are you, what fucking level of hell is this that we're talking about? Like, can we save the thing that, and I mean, even that like recent OIG report that came out, the, there was that South, South Seattle Emerald um, article about it. It's like, God damn. It's Mm -hmm. like, now we have a board to say like, listen, OPA, you're not doing your job. And then it's just like, can't do anything. Yeah. You can't like fire the OPA. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I think too, I mean, the consent decree you know, I always thought about it being from the South. I always thought about it. It reminded me very much of Boston, like, mm-hmm. and that 90% of Boston in the South, or I guess more accurately, we'll talk about Boston and Boston was literally, you know, the federal government engaging in these lawsuits where they would just spin their wheels and would not actually desegregate anything. They didn't mm-hmm. actually change the conditions on the ground for anybody, but they spent, they spin the wheels for 10 years until people get, you know, Stop worrying about it and don't care about it anymore. The white flight goes, you know, solves the problem for you or whatever. It's a busy box. It's literally a busy Mm -hmm. box. I mean, because you're totally right. We're 10 years into the consent decree. What the fuck is there to show for it? Not a goddamn thing. Like, who can point to anything at SPD that's changed, you Mm -hmm. know? And it is the sort of busy box. I mean, I think for some people it shows the, like, impossibility of reforming the organization in any way. Um but uh, I mean, it's done that at least. <laughs> yeah, it has shown the impossibility of reforming the organization, and uh, and that, yeah, I, I think some people might balk a little bit that we're kind of saying like "fuck the consent decree." It's who gives a shit because it's fun to throw it in SPD's face. Well, under the consent decree, yeah, but mm-hmm. you do have to acknowledge it has done nothing at some yeah. point. Yeah, and know? when you have a federal government that is like demonstrably like more interested in continuing mass incarceration than. Yeah certainly than abolition, then it doesn't really make sense to be asking for their fucking help. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that 
I guess the last question on that then is Pete Holmes was trying to end the consent decree, but from a rhetorical place of like kind of declaring victory. Yeah. Now he's can't be a fucking idiot. Uh-huh. So he can't actually believe that anything good has come of that, but he was trying to get rid of it mm-hmm. uh, while publicly saying, well, we did it guys. And just like end the whole affair. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, so yeah. How will you make what is a more complicated case or like, are you prepared to make this more complicated case of like, we need to get rid of this, not because it worked, but because it's actually an impediment, even though the whole narrative around it is that it's this uh, owner, you know, it's this stringent thing that's come down to reform SPD for good. You know, mm-hmm. like that's a hard, that's a complicated uh, needle to thread, I guess. I mean, it is, but it is a consent decree. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. consent, like we're consenting to that, like the city of Seattle is consenting to that. That's what's happening instead of this lawsuit going forward. Yeah. So I think that there I mean, that's that is a really complicated legal question that would take a lot of time and a lot of people. Yeah, to like. I, I mean, more but, like rhetorically, like publicly, like what do you tell to what do you you know, are you prepared to make that case to people? Uh, you know, that I mean, I'm just I guess I'm just saying. Pete Holmes is a coward and wouldn't say that it sucked. <laughs> like, are you oh, ready yeah, to yeah. go out there and just say this sucks? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel like they've already said it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you've got 10 years with nothing to show for it. Like, I do I really need to say anything? You yeah. Feel like you said it for me. Well, I can imagine yeah. people even, like, who want to, genuinely who want to see SPD reformed mm-hmm. being confused when a message coming from a place they probably already, an abolitionist place, a place of, you know, solidarity with the defund movement that they probably already don't understand is then saying we need to get rid of the consent decree. It sounds, it's a complicated rhetorical stance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people will have to do a lot of talking on that to make this clear if that's going to happen. And yeah, ultimately some of that's going to fall on you if you're, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or trying to get rid of it from the city attorney's office. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the, everything that I say, like every way that I look at this system is through an abolitionist lens. Mm-hmm. And the consent decree, like an abolition, I think most people maybe don't people don't know, like abolition stands in opposition to reform. Yeah. Reform mm-hmm. is not, um, it's never going to get us there. And I think that like that's the one of the main tenets of abolition is like we need to stop fucking around with shit we know doesn't work. And um, that goes for the consent decree, too. So I think anyone, like if I'm talking to somebody or talking about the consent decree, about abolition, about police reform, like all of these things are going to be part of the same conversation. And I, yeah, and I think it's great that you're like, they've done that for us. Because like that's, I feel like the consent decree, like it's been tried. Like we did everything. Everything has been tried. We got an office of accountability. We got some people to keep those people accountable. Then we got a federal judge making sure, like, it's fucking not working. In, yeah, the results are unreformable. We, yes. we filed a lot of paperwork. We did, and yeah. it's, uh, and here we are. And and here we are, the, like, being yeah. tear guests. Well, so. and, and I think it would be beneficial to have somebody, yeah, that took the opposite point of Pete Holmes saying that, like, we can get rid of it because of it's a victory, and say, no, we can get rid of it because it's a failure. You yeah. Know? Which is the drug war thing, too. I mean, you know, is, like... Mm-hmm the way to get rid of the drug war is to say this is a fucking disaster. It's a failure. It's a mm-hmm. failure at every level. And I think the consent decree and police reform is sort of in that same boat. Of it's just a fucking failure, you know? Yeah. I think it's like, I think it's a hard thing at first. I think that's a really hard thing for people to wrap their heads around at first. Mm-hmm. 
But then if you talk about it and you're like, look, let's look at the drug war. Do people still do drugs? Like, has mass incarceration made us safer? Like, is this actually working? You know, what are the end goals and have we achieved those? Like, and how long have we been doing it? You know, Mm -hmm. no. And I think the consent decree is exactly the same way. It's like, this is what the consent, I mean, but the thing that's different, I think, about the consent decree is the consent decree was never really trying to make things that different. You know what I mean? There's trying to stop some unconstitutional shit but, like, at the end of the day, what cops can actually do is fucking horrendous. You yeah. know what I mean? So the consent decree was never trying to make, like, cops not kill people or anything like that. So, yeah. I mean, that's one aspect of it. Well, I think LAPD is the only police department that's ever successfully gone through the whole consent decree process. And we can all agree that it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love the LAPD? No crimes under their belt. No, never. <laughs> never. They have the, they have, the, yes, they get to claim they've been through the whole consent decree process and they're not the LA County Sheriff's Department. And yeah. They look, they, and they, you know, they look real good. Like, we keep our gang secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't know about them yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Nicole Thomas Kennedy, you are running for city attorney against Pete Holmes and some Republican nitwit who ran for lieutenant governor and managed to get 12%. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, you know. Probably that person probably couldn't get through this top two primary in fucking Issaquah, much less Seattle. So, uh, among the reasons that you know we we know why you got into this race when you realized Pete Holmes was running unopposed, but uh, one of the reasons he's running unopposed, among the reasons, is that that he was before you got into it, is that Seattle does not have the kind of vast organized working class community movement you might want to see generating leaders to challenge power at every turn at every opportunity uh you have the right abolition politics uh you've done a lot of important work as a practitioner as a defender uh we can commend you for that you're very therefore qualified for this uh, elected technocratic slot at that level uh we can even appreciate your class background um, uh, as you've been a service worker in this town. Uh, But in a way, background, expertise, and platform sounds something like the template for a Democrat to run for office. Ouch. (laughs) I know. Look, that's That's the worst thing I'm going to say to you. Okay. Um, If you were coming out of like a powerful movement with a history of uh, you know, recognizable organizing in community, you would have built a kind of trust and legitimacy with a mass base that might just be crucial for a radical candidate to actually take power. It may be that that's a necessity. Again, that's not the position this city in this moment or you are in. So this is all a way of asking Maybe the question is why you specifically, mm-hmm. or maybe it's what are you doing now? What will you do uh, to get through this primary? And really, after you get through this primary, to build that mass community level trust, not just to win in November, but if you did, to have a base of people invested in you in this role, willing to back you up as a radical uh, city attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is that? What is that? What is building that 
community level trust look like uh, for your, you and your campaign? Yeah. So, I mean, first I would say like, I used to do a lot of organizing um, and I'm going to date myself, but a lot for the like Iraq war. I did like a lot of anti-war organizing um, and yeah, there was, there was a level, I will admit that there was a level of burnout that happened. Um, and, um, you know, and then I didn't do, like, I mean, I've always been part of, like, different groups, like, and I do, but I don't prefer to be out in front of anything. You know, I like, and I don't really gravitate towards organizational structures that are hierarchical um, most of the time. And I don't, uh, and I really like collect, working collectively and collaboratively. So I think that um, I've never really tried to be a leader. I've never really wanted to be a leader. Like I'm really into sharing power as opposed to like be like, look what I did. I mean, not that there's, I mean, there's great, we have some really great leaders in this town. Like I'm not going to say that we don't. Um, it's just not something that I've ever um yeah, I've just always been, I'm a bass player. Like, I work behind the scenes. Until now. Until now. Now i got to play guitar. The strings are so small, they hurt my fingers. Um, but uh, I think that, and I really hope that when people think about who to vote for, I know that they will think about me as a human being, and that is disturbing to me. I, w- I want them to think about, like, what I stand for, like, what I'm going to do in that office. Because I, I mean, like I said, I'm, these are not my ideas. You know, these are, like, the ideas of, like, p- people have been putting together for decades and decades. Like, this is, none of this is me saying, like, I'm the right person to do this. I'm just the person that's here that was like, I guess, I guess I'll run, you know. And, but this is, like, I want to put forward a vision that's very, very clear and not at all watered down. And I want to build coalitions between labor, between the environmental group. And those are things that I am working on right now. I don't have those, like, I don't have a labor background. I mean, my dad was, like, in the union or whatever. I went to many <laughs> union meetings as a kid in the basement of the sub arena in my hometown. And, like, it was everybody was smoking Marlboro Reds, and those guys would start yelling at each other all the time. I was like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah. It, it sounds like they'd be in a podcast. Yeah, time. yeah, they should have one. Um, but, um, you know, I didn't, like, I've never worked in labor. You know, like, yeah. I was, like, anti-war. I was anti-sweatshop. Like, those were, like, kind of the movements that I was working on more. And so um, it is, I understand a level of distrust. Nobody knows who the fuck I am, and that's fine. Um, and I or think... La- or lack of trust. A lack of trust. Right. What did I say? Distrust. Distrust. No, it's immediate distrust. That's how I feel. It's like, what do you want? <laughs> What's in this spanakopita? Um, yeah, it's baklava. I. It is. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is your first major flub. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You've lost the Greek vote. Uh, <laughs> damn it. I didn't figure Dow Constantine was going to vote for me anyway. <laughs> um, but I think. Uh, like those are relationships that are going to have to be built like with my campaign, like with me, with my campaign. And I think that's going to happen um, by reaching out to different groups and really trying to explain that my goal is to share power. My goal is not to seize power and lord it over anybody else. Um, But, um, and I think that there is a lot of interest in this town. Like I've talked to a lot of different like community groups already that like that, that's what they're interested in. Like people are really tired of being told 
what to do, how to think, the right way to do shit or whatever. And it's for a really long time, people have been saying very clearly what their needs are. And then the state's like, okay, so what we need is a task force. Or like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but how about we just paint the street, but like still imprison you? You know what I mean? Like, we'll keep the Black Lives Matter mural, but we're still going to kill you. (laughs) You know, and I think that, um, I think that, I, I hope that people are ready for someone who's going to speak plainly and be very clear about what they're going to do. I mean, and I also, it's not about me. If like, if I don't get elected, I won't be bummed because like, I, I still have a job. Like I'm still a lawyer. It's fine. Like I'll be okay. You know, but I, I hope people believe in abolition. I hope people can see the truth of where we are and how we need to move on from this way of doing things. And so um, I mean, I really fucking hope I win because I I really want to make some change. But it's also for me, like it's it's like a constant like trying to keep my ego out of it, but also trying to build relationships with like myself as a person. I think like I don't know. I'm very like conflicted with that stuff. You know, like I'm very like. But what about the idea? What if we just talk about this? Um, and I think that um, that's not enough here. You know what I mean? I think I really need to get out and start like, and meet people and build those relationships. I think that's where that's going to come from, you know, because like anybody can come in and say the shit you want to hear. Yeah. I mean, literally. And like, and it's weird. Cause like when I do stuff like with Pete Holmes, he's like, this is what he says all the time. Nicole's not wrong. She's not wrong. I'm like, nobody says that more than Pete Holmes. Like my, <laughs> my dad has never said They're that wrong. more. <laughs> he's like, she's not wrong. It doesn't help. Yet, like, I continue to do it over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Is that, like, some sort of mind trick he's trying to do? Is he is he mind-freaking all of us with that? Or? <laughs> that was with the Seattle Times Elections Endorsement Board. And I think he was just like, Nicole will say all the radical shit. And then I'll be like, she's not wrong. However, I prosecute 2,000 shoplifters a year. You know what I mean? Um, I think it was a little bit of, like, hiding behind that. And I'm like, take it if you need it. <laughs> because we know I'm not getting the endorsement from the Times. And that's well, all right. neither did he. Yeah. So yeah. They, they just <laughs> declined was... <laughs> to endorse because obviously, love... like, uh, Pete Holmes is their enemy. Uh, that There's yeah. a paper trail on that. So, you know, he's the guy who's not out there prosecuting enough shoplifters. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of, like, I mean, they really came after him pretty hard. And then they would ask me a question, like, so... You say you're not going to prosecute shoplifters, but so many people shoplift from goodwill. Are you going to do that? And I'm like, fuck no. And let me tell you why, you know, and like go into this long thing about how you can't even you can't prove the charge. It's all poor people. Then they send them a bill for like three hundred dollars. And like if you can pay it, people pay it thinking it's going to get them out of prosecution. But then they prosecute you anyway. Like goodwill is literally making money off of shoplifting. And I was like, so, yeah, no. I'm not going to prosecute that. And I just like, just was like, I'm just like, I mean, I know I'm not getting this endorsement, so I'm just going to say exactly how I feel. And that's when Pete would be like, well, she's not wrong. However, my office charges more shoplifting from Goodwill than anywhere else. I'm like, what is, what the fuck? You know? So uh, there are ways to get involved in helping your campaign get out and make those relationships with mm-hmm. people in the community right now, right? Yes. We do have canvassers out um, every almost every night now at five o'clock, knocking on doors. That's awesome. Yeah, and there's a ton of positive response, like a ton. That's fantastic. Yeah, and um, a friend of mine even uh, went along last night, and um, she said, "You know, it really gave me hope 
you know, like just how positively people responded to the message. And just like it's fun to actually be around other abolitionists and people who don't believe that like poor people should just be ground into dirt or whatever. Um, but uh, I mean, the thing is, when I entered the race, I really um, I had no idea what I was doing. And so I was like, well, I mean, good space guys on the ballot every year. <laughs> All the time. I'll just be like good space guy. And like I'll put my name in there and then I'll have like a like a abolition rant and the voters pamphlet and um and you know, people will know what's gonna ha- what's happening at Seattle Municipal Court. Finally, I'll tell them. Um and that's kind of how I viewed it. And I really like I thought I knew every abolitionist in town. Um I was like, I we're all in the same groups, like but it's not true. There's a lot more people that are interested in it than I thought. And um but the, it's been a really really overwhelmingly, surprisingly um, delightful and hopeful and overwhelming show of support. Like really, like much more than I thought. I was really expecting everyone to be like the Seattle Times. Like I thought that's, mm-hmm. but I was doing the legislative distri- districts. And then one of the first ones I did was the, uh, whichever district is covers like Northgate and Laurelhurst. So sure. like the third or seven or fourth. Yeah. Right. One of those. I don't know. Um, but I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I, they're like, give you 30 seconds to speak. And I cool. was like, yeah, like, hi, so shit's fucked up. And like, you know what I mean? But like eloquent, but then like not really getting to the point in 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, I remember at the very first one, I was like, did I run out of time? Oh, shit. And then I put my head down and like Rial was like, yeah, they can still hear you. <laughs> but um, they even... <laughs> Yeah, that's cool, whatever. But um, see, I'm used to like embarrassing myself, so I'm just like, "Eh, Mm -hmm. whatever. But um, I ended up, so you needed 60% of the vote to carry the endorsement. And I was like, it's Laurelhurst. If I get two people, I'm going to be stoked. But I got 39% Mm -hmm. in Laurelhurst for abolition. And I was like, oh, shit. 39 Nine percent of nerds in Laurelhurst. Okay, still, <laughs> right. Still. That's my that's my audience. Nerds. I love it. Everyone um, in Laurelhurst I, I was that has a Discord server. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Love them. So the yeah, I mean, I'm sure the conventional wisdom or hope from the Seattle Times from Pete Holmes is that this is going to be a long shot campaign. My guess is he's going to basically. Try and ignore you when he can. The Seattle Times, part of their whole, like, raison d'etre at this moment is denying the existence of any constituency for abolition or defund or anything, any real reform even. So they're going to deny that that's a real possibility. The truth is, like we said, we don't really know what the appetite out there is uh but it's more than the Seattle Times thinks or wants to acknowledge. So yeah, their mm-hmm. endorsements always lose. So. Yeah, they got two right last time, and yeah. one was an incumbent. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And I mean, it could be that their overconfidence in feeling like uh, they don't need to. Uh, I mean, in this stage in the primary, doesn't matter. We'll see in the general. But this, there, I'm saying there could be an opening here. We don't know really what mm-hmm. the ap- appetite for abolition politics is in this town. We know it's big. We don't. But this race, whatever the outcome, 
is going to be a referendum on that, mm-hmm. on abolition, on criminalization of poverty, on SPD, etc. That's uh, that's what we have to look forward to. We have, you know, we can look forward to every half-wit and asshole employed by the Times uh, in the op-ed pages to write their own special little screeds about you, which is going to rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and, but that's the thing. So I would encourage um, everybody to, you know, get involved. Let's do some door knocking. Look, you've been waiting because... You know, we haven't told you where to send your democracy vouchers. And like <laughs> us, you smartly knew that Nikita was going to just fill up with them immediately and max out. And so you've been waiting. What's like, what's the late game play here? You've been waiting. And it might be uh, NTK. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> um, we'll put links to... Uh, Get involved in doing some door knocking. Sounds like it's going on all the time. And uh, it's been really a pleasure having you here on the boat, Nicole. And we uh, we hope uh, we can pull this off. Yes, I hope so too. I'm, I'm actually quite hopeful. I'm not naturally optimistic. <laughs> so, um, but, but I am actually quite hopeful. Yeah, I think, there's, I think there's a lot more here than, I mean, definitely than I realized. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a real possibility. It's just about what the actual temperature is. Like, we haven't had an election in this town since the uprisings of 2020, mm-hmm. and that's that's what's happening now. So, yeah, we don't know. Well, you know, a lot of candidates have come on this program and assured us that if they're elected, we mechanical freak <laughs> us personally and its subsidiaries will be immune from all prosecution or uh, (laughs) libel litigation. And Uh I think this might be the time we pull it off. There we go. Yeah. So thanks again. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much, Nicole. 